Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Raw Podcast. I'm your host, Christine Grace. Now, before we dive into the podcast, I want to discuss my new brand partnership with Purium. They're an outstanding holistic lifestyle transformation and community-focused company that specializes in pure organic superfood nutrition and supplements to support multiple aspects of health. If you're interested in transforming your health while also supporting the podcast, please check out the links in the show notes and listen to a longer description at the end of the podcast. Now today, I'm speaking with Sara Casper. She's a consent educator and the founder of Comprehensive Consent. Her mission is to equip kids and teens with the knowledge necessary to navigate intimate encounters and create healthy relationships. With a focus on social-emotional learning, Sarah helps young people understand body autonomy and practice consent skills when the stakes are low so that they're prepared when the stakes are high. We discuss how Sarah's journey through acro yoga inspired her to become a consent educator and how she uses experiential exercises to teach how saying no actually feels in the moment within different parameters. Obviously, while understanding consent, we discuss boundary setting and upholding our boundaries and how it's different from a consent conversation. We also discuss navigating consent through a who, what, where, when, and how framework to help us figure out more specifically what aspects of any action or touch we are enjoying or not enjoying. We also discuss compatibility, accountability, and just generally deep dive into all things consent. We later shift into discussing the nuances and parallels with sexual assault and racism and the differences between calling out and calling in. We had a super jovial conversation, even though we disagreed on a few things. I'm personally a big fan of how Sara approaches consent education and appreciated having her on the podcast. So now, without further ado, meet Sara Casper. Yes, and hi, Sara Casper, and welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me here. It is so great um, to have you. And it was, uh, you were basically one of the first people I reached out to that I didn't know personally. And you were so keen to come on that it just like made me so happy because it's like, yes, awesome. Um, So I have to thank you so much for that because that meant a lot to me being a new show. So yeah. For sure. (laughs) I would say I, there, there are not many people who I have gone as deep with so quickly without knowing them over Instagram messages and I instantly I was like oh our values are aligned this this is going to be a good conversation awesome yeah I I tend to be a person like that so I I can't say the same I tend to go deep with people really quickly um so I think it's just like a thing about me but um it's so nice when someone will like meet me there and I just like knew right away I was like oh we're gonna have such awesome conversations so that's what this is all about. So to start, um, you mentioned on your uh, website that you started in a psych degree and then you went into yoga and now you are a consent educator for parents. And I just wanted to know if you wanted to give us kind of the nice Coles notes, brief synopsis version of that path. Sure. Yeah. I studied, so I got my uh, undergraduate degree in psychology. Mm-hmm. And in the environment, culture that I grew up in, um, it, it was very competitive, a lot of emphasis put on education. My parents paid for a private education and I was, I was good at school. So I was like, oh, 
I got a psych degree. I don't know what mm-hmm. I want to do. So mm-hmm. obviously I'll get a graduate degree as opposed <laughs> to like, what do I want to do? Right. Um, there was, there was part of me, of course, that wanted to do it. I love psychology. Uh, but I, I started a doctoral program to become a psychologist and I learned very quickly, luckily, that I did not like being a therapist. Love, love being in therapy. Don't love being a therapist. Fair enough. <laughs> They're two very different things. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I left the program after uh, a semester did some traveling. I lived in Utah for a year. Uh, I hmm. was in India for a couple months. I got my yoga certification, kind of doing that very much like find yourself thing, but yeah. more just like doing whatever called me until the, the next thing called me. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was in Utah, and then also actually in India, I also discovered acro yoga in addition to like deepening my yoga yoga experience. And acro yoga, for any listeners who don't know what it is, is partnered acrobatics. Hmm. So instead of using like trapeze or aerial silks or uh, a lira hoop to perform, you're just using another person's body kind of. So it's two bodies interacting. And as I continue to go deeper in acro yoga kind of recreationally, I really noticed that the same conversations I was having there were the same conversations that I wished I was having in romantic and sexual encounters. Mm. So things like, are you interested in doing this? Have you tried this? Um, Or even like simple adjustments of like, does it help if I like move my arm a little bit to the right or to the left? And you're really navigating and communicating about the body. there's a supportive environment that wants to encourage you to explore whatever you want to explore, but it's not, it's not coercive. It's very much like, what is your comfort level today for your body today? Which for some reason is very, I think as athletes, you kind of understand that like your body might feel different one day to the next, Mm -hmm. but we're not as forgiving when it comes to sex. Mm -hmm. And yeah. (laughs) And Mm -hmm it just opened up this idea for me that consent was not this thing that had to do with sex, but kind of when you break it down was just these, these skills about communicating about your body. Hmm. And with that psychology background of how brains acquire skills and how habit develops and behaviorism, plus my experience in acro yoga and in mindfulness from yoga proper, Mm -hmm. um, I came up with this idea to teach consent as non-sexual consent skills. And that led me to uh, teach a workshop for students. And then eventually um, because of the pandemic, now I mostly work with parents. Cool. I love how you made that distinction um, cause I think like whenever people hear the word consent, they immediately think sex. Like it's like, Oh, I say yes or no, if I want to have sex and that's consent. And honestly, I think for me, that was like the most consent was ever talked about was in a sex ed class. And just like, whether it was a yes or a no, that's it. And it's like, there's so much more beyond that. And then you had a thing that said like consent is about communication. And I wondered if you wanted to move into like what you mean by that, that it's not just sexual. 
Yeah. So, and again, like that's where it always, it's funny. It's like the psychology piece definitely informs the nitty gritty, but the heart of what I do is so hacro yoga Mm. Uh, because it's, it's not when you do a pose, it's not like you can do the pose or you can't do the pose. It's right. Or it's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's that it depends who your partner is. Is your partner taller than you or shorter than you? That will impact where their feet Mm -hmm. go on your body, Mm -hmm. like how high up on your hip bones. And it's things like that, which again, we're so comfortable saying, um, or you can more easily become comfortable saying in an acro class when it's not about sex, Hey, can you move your hand out of my shoulder? Or can we try something new? Let's mm-hmm. get a spotter to make sure we're doing it safely. Mm. Everyone knows the first, the, the first thing you learn in acro is down. Down right. means no matter where you are in the position, you stop, you talk about why the person said down if, if they want to, and then maybe you try it again. And there's like an open space to do that. Or maybe you try something less intense Hmm. Um, or maybe you just need to get some water, Mm -hmm. but it's very, it's very like your body learns to react to down means get them down to the floor safely. And then Mm -hmm. we have a conversation and it's like, how is that not stop? Right. How is that? Right. How is that? Like, how is that not stopping sex? And how is talking about moving your shoulder and adjusting, not a communication nuance. It's not just yes and no. It's, it's, the details and the nuances and um, this idea that one answer isn't like the final answer. Right. And because I think that's one of the biggest things is if you say yes, you can't go back on it. Right. Like no one wants to be called a hypocrite, but in acro, it's like, let's try this and see what happens. Right. And yeah. And it just, it just clicked for me and it made me see consent in a whole new light. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so then if you were trying, so hmm, how would you first describe, like, let's say you're working with a teenager, how would you first have them maybe try to understand consent? Like what would be like an exercise or something to try to help them understand it? Yeah. I don't teach a lot of content. Okay. Okay. I like, um, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with fraud, uh, Planned Parenthood has like their fries model of consent. It's, it's, um, their like acronym for teaching consent is like fries. It's freely given, reversible, informed, enthusiastic, and specific. Okay. And so it's like, let's talk about each of those things. What does that mean? And so to me, that's like content. I don't teach content. Okay. I do practice. Cool. So it would be um, a bunch of teenagers in a room together. I did this usually with like eighth graders. Okay. Um, and the rule is that you go around and you find a person and you say, can I have a hug? And that person, their job is to say no. Those are the rules of the game. Okay. And the person is supposed to say, okay, and then go on to the next person. And so they're shuffling Mm -hmm. around a room, practicing, asking for a hug and saying no. And then we, so that's like the base level of like, this is kind of weird. This is kind of different, but like, we're like, we're moving around, we're practicing something. Then I changed it up where the person says no, but the, or the receiver says no, but the asker doesn't accept that. No, in terms of they try to coerce and they say, please, Mm -hmm. please, please. And then the receiver says no again. 
And then we come back to these questions. And then I always come back to these questions of what was that experience like? Mm. How did it feel to say no to someone who is asking you repeatedly, who you might even like, Mm -hmm. who might be your best friend? Right. Right. And so I really get into not the content of like, I mean, that don't get me wrong, that is important, but that's not what I do primarily. Um, of understanding that it's revocable and knowing what it means if someone's intoxicated, et cetera. But on a social emotional level, what is that experience like to say no to a friend? How hard is that? And because when you're prepared, when you understand in your body that it is going to be hard to say no, it's easier when the time comes because it was expected. It's not like, oh, just say no. And then I can't, but it's supposed to be easy. And then you kind of freeze up. It's like, no, 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 this is normal. You can still do it. You're, you, you have permission to say no. Remember, that's the rule of the game. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to say no. And so you can kind of go back into that mindset of permission to say no, even when it's hard. I have, uh, there's one also where, this is my favorite one, um, where the asker gives a Hershey kiss first and then says, can I have a hug? Whoa. To kind of, yeah, have that idea of when someone gives you something, what is saying no to that like? And so it's very much discussion and experiential, like in your body, even when something as low key as a hug and in a game where the rules are to say no, it's still hard. Right. Um, And there are a bunch of other games that like break that idea and like go into like personal space and boundaries and and, in all of my activities, you never, there's never a, um, a, you have to touch like a yes, that's, it's all no um but it's very much having kind of discussions around that and then bringing it back to maybe more high intense situation high intensity situations or situations that just aren't in the game aren't Mm -hmm. in this like little container right here right um so that's what it would be like and I think that gets the conversation going in a way that content just doesn't especially with um, tweens and teens because they get content all day mm-hmm. and 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 because it's different for every person for some people it might have been really easy to say no and that's okay that's not right. they're not doing it wrong it's just like that's awesome that you have that skill right but be aware that not everyone has that skill listen to these other people and hear what they're saying about their experience that's that's amazing you give the experience of it um, something that came up for me was just wondering, cause I would totally get that you would never say that you have to say yes, because that's making someone else not choose their own body. Do you give permission ever at the point to say yes and to say no and practice it both with different people or does that get kind of fuzzy? Um, I will do something that's kind of similar instead of okay. a touch, it'll be decide um, on a, I never know what to call it. I call it like a move. Okay. Um, like a dance move or a jumping jack or like imaginary jump rope or like a push-up where you have to negotiate what you want to do. So I'm the asker. I say, do you want to do a jumping jack? You say, yes, but how many? Mm. And then I say 10 and they say, okay, but can we turn around so we don't see each other? And they say, no, I'm not comfortable with that. And then so you kind of negotiate still an activity, but not an activity that requires touch. Okay. Um, within that, within that, the truth is there is because the, because they're supposed to negotiate, 
if they do want to negotiate about a touch and someone wants to ask for a hug and the person says no, but let's do a high, but let's do like an imaginary high five. Cool. If they also land on a hug because they were prompted to negotiate, I'm okay with that. Right. But um, I also give the option of like a move. Right. A physical move. I don't know what to call it. I, I get what you're saying. Like an yeah, action, uh, like a, like an action. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's so interesting. And then you touched on in your first comment before, um, you're teaching consent and boundaries. And you had a post on Instagram that um, was really good because it really distinguished distinguished between the two. And I wonder if you could really help people understand the difference and how to think about them, especially in terms of maybe teaching their kids or just like, honestly, I've learned so much about relationships just from looking at you for me. So yeah, just like those two and how they, how they work together, but how they are also very fundamentally different. Yeah. When I, when I say that I teach consent to kids, people's minds go to abuse prevention and like child sexual abuse prevention. Right. Okay. And, and, and that's a, it's connected to what I do but I don't address any questions head on. I will always refer out to that. That being said, the skills I teach will help in those situations, Mm -hmm. but that's not the skills that I'm teaching for. Right. Um, Because with that, it's, there are many factors, one of which is really like boundary setting. Like there is no negotiation here. Like it's, that is not okay. Who do I need to go tell? How do I keep myself safe? How do I, um, make sure I'm not in that situation in the first place to how are parents setting boundaries so their kid isn't in that situation. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not about how do we enjoy this activity together safely? Right. Nope. That's consent. Right. That's for people who are, mm. you know, relatively the same stage, a stage slash age of life um, where there's not a, um, an abusive power in an extreme you know, in a very clear and extreme way. Um, this is for kind of making sure I sometimes say like making sure a healthy relationship is actually healthy. Right. Right. Like making sure you actually feel safe to say no and not just like, you're like, he's nice. So I'll go along with it. Yeah. She wanted it. So like, I didn't really like it, but like, I didn't want to be mean, you know, kind of navigating those mm-hmm. more subtle nuances which are like consent where it's like you need two people actively participating, whereas boundary setting is really just like one person being like, no, right. Like that is my boundary. Do not cross it. Um, Whereas consent is more like a back and forth conversation, or at least that's how I frame it. No, that makes so much sense to me because I think I, so what's coming to me right now is like, I think that's why our generation, at least like up in school, like I'm in Canada, but like the school system we had here and, and this somewhat sex education you get in school. Um, I think they, they made those two the same thing. That consent was basically you say yes or no, when that's actually, as you're saying, that's more of my boundary and consent is, and I think that's why like um, personally, and I'll just get a little vulnerable, but personally I had like tons of like sexual encounters trying to learn what was a yes and what was a no for me because I didn't even understand how to navigate that myself so like 
a lot of years for me was like, I didn't know. So I would make it a yes. And I, and I do wonder sometimes if like, and I've, I've talked to my sister about it sometimes, like, I think there is, that is also somewhat what does happen when you're learning how to have sexual encounters with people is like figuring out, like, I don't really know if I want this. The only way to kind of know is to try. And then hopefully I'd be able to know in two seconds if it's going to be a no or whatever. Um, but is that something you kind of bring into it or is that because that gets really nuanced? Oh yeah, no, we, we, we get into it. Yeah. Cool. Cause, I, Cause I think that's so much part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, again, if you go to like, if you go to an acro class, if you go to any, like, you know, any class that's like, athletics, you, like you try a movement, you realize your body is not agreeing with you. And then you're like, never mind, And it's, it's still hard sometimes if the teacher mm-hmm. is saying now the whole class is doing it. Right. So you can kind of relate to that situation, but if you can be empowered to be like, nope, your body is different than their body. And if you can cue your partner in to say, yeah, let's give it a try, but I might pull back. If you say that ahead of time, it's easier for you to then pull back. Mm. Or, and at the same time, you clue that person into checking it in, right? Right. Because it's right that, that like, they said yes to me. Now, how do they, do they still feel good about that decision? It's kind of like a boss ask or like um, employee asking for feedback. Like, hey, you hired me. I, this is, I've done some work. Do you have any feedback for how I'm doing my work right. so that I can be a better employee? Right. It's the same thing. It's like, I, we agreed to like be partners in this moment. How am I doing? Right. Um, right. And, and that, and that gives, that gives also leeway for more pleasure mm-hmm. too, because let's say it's like, oh, I'm actually loving this and I want to like try something a little more intimate or a little more risky. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it gives entrance to both ba- set boundaries, but also like ask for things that you want to ask for. Because the mm-hmm. other thing with boundary setting versus consent is that with boundary setting, we're not usually worried about the asker. We're really worried about the like answerer, right. or the receiver. But hearing a no is hard. Mm-hmm. And if we don't prepare, especially boys, to hear a no and know what to expect and know how to deal with that no, how can we be surprised when they don't know how to handle the no? We never taught them to handle the no. And that's not an excuse. Like you have your own personal responsibility when you're an adult to figure that out. Of course. But we're also responsible. Right. We never taught them how to deal with a no. And and teaching the asker is just as important as teaching the answerer. And again, I, I, I use those terms because it comes clear, but again, they switch places all the time. Right. Ideally. Right. Well, and within, like, I'm, I'm just thinking of like first kind of time that you start being sexual with somebody, you know, range of ages when that's going to happen. So I'm not going to like say that, but range of age of when you start really kind of exploring sexuality with someone else, not just yourself. And it is a negotiation between two people. Like it really, but, but it's not, at least I think it is starting to be taught this way. You're doing this kind of work. I'm sure you're not the only person, but like when we were growing up, I just remember it was just kind of like don't have sex until like blah, 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 blah. If you do use a condom or use like protection. And if you don't want to say no, and like, that was it. And it's like, well, there's, there's so much room in between that. Cause it's like, do I want you to touch my breast? 
or not? Like that's one yes or no. Today, maybe tomorrow, not. You know, we're not really taught, like you said earlier to start that what I felt yesterday and then I'm hanging out with my boyfriend tomorrow might be totally freaking different. And we're not even taught that. It's like, if I, if he touched it yesterday, shouldn't he touch it again today if he wants to? And like, that's, I think that's where it gets so fuzzy, especially I shouldn't, I don't even want to say, especially for women. I think it's really fuzzy for guys too. Um, I really do. And I think it's often thought a lot more of women because women are, ones who tend to be a little less powerful and that has its own dynamic that we can maybe get into in a sec too but um I'm interested in maybe how some of like the conversations with teenagers have gone or like some of like interesting things that have come up when you explore this yeah so this makes me think of two things the first is that 100 we are told women that they don't know anything about sex and they should essentially defer to the man Right. So now women are right because we're shamed for being sexual beings and yeah. no, and you know, your body is for reproduction and for a man's pleasure. Um, and so, uh, so we defer to the man again, like heteronormally mm-hmm. speaking. And then the man is like, I don't know what to do, right? But I'm supposed to have all the answers. I'm not supposed to ask her because she doesn't have any of the answers. That would make her a slut. Right. So she doesn't have any of the answers. So now I have to figure out all on my own. Right. And so they do have this like weird power, but it's not fair to them either because they don't know what to do with that power. And it's mm-hmm. not power that they deserved or want probably a lot of the time. Um, so that just made me think of that. And the other thing is that I think this will help answer your the question you just asked is I teach a framework of who, what, where, when, and how. Okay. Sounds very overwhelming, but I think, but it's kind of like reminiscent of probably like English class when you're writing a story, you know? Mm -hmm. So how I define it is who is the person? What is, what kind of touch is it? Hug, kiss, fist bump, blowjob, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, I should have asked you first. Are are we language, all languages? Great. All languages. (laughs) I figured, um who what where uh where is where on the body right because you can kiss my nipple but you can also kiss my lips yeah um on my forehead which is really sweet yeah Um, (laughs) the the when is set and setting so set in terms of what is your mindset what mood are you in are you happy are you sad did you just fail a test did you are you uh in a bout of like mania or depression Um, And then setting in terms of physical setting. So everything from, are there people around to, is it light out? Is it dark out? Um, Are you at school? Are you at home? Are you in a locked room? Mm -hmm. Um, And how is kind of that variable that's hard, that the kind of like adjectives, like hard, soft, wet, dry, big, small, like a big hug, a small hug, a tight hug, a loose hug. Um, that's a how. So if you take all those into consideration, you can very specifically describe what you do and don't want. And it allows you to find, figure out the missing piece. Hmm. So I like the who I'm cool with, you know, the, the where, but the how, you know, needs a little bit of adjustment mm-hmm. or there could be some who's that you never want to have anything to do with consent wise. Right. Um, And so when you break it down like that, it's easier to pinpoint what about this touch do I like or do I not like and what part of it can we address so that it's not a rejection 
completely because sometimes we don't want to say no completely, but what do we need to like modify? Hmm. That um, makes it. Yeah. And, and I think it's more than just, you know, a lot of, a lot of people will talk about like, oh, instead of a hug, let's do a high five. And that's great. But that's changing the what, what if it's just like, you don't want to do it now, but you want to do it later. Mm-hmm. Right. When you, once you've warmed up a bit to them mm-hmm. or you don't uh, want to do it um, because, you know, you're in the coat closet, like you're hanging by the coat closet in the corner and you're like, oh, I'll give you a hug when we're near my family. I'll feel better about it. Like it doesn't just have to be the what that changes. And I think that's a thing that people forget sometimes. That's amazing. I'm literally that I think that has just helped me so much because like oftentimes for me, like in school, there was always a joke of like the people who liked PDA. Like that's what it was when I was in high school, like 15 years ago. Um, and I know I hated it too. And I had a boyfriend once and like, we only lasted like two weeks because he was obsessed with PDA. So anytime we were around, he had his arm around me to the point of like, and it just like, I'm not like that. I'll like, now I'll like hold hands a little bit. Um, I'm with my boyfriend for like five years. Like, so him and I will kiss sometimes. Like I'm super comfortable with him, but PDA, like public displays of affection for people who don't know, (laughs) um, was never something for me. So that where would completely shift something for me. It doesn't mean I don't want to kiss you. It means I don't want to kiss you right here in front of our friends. That's it. But I didn't really know other than the PDA was one that was easy. Cause I would just say that I don't like PDA. Um, but then he, like the one guy, he was like, well, I really like PDA. And then he got to basically, I guess, cross my boundary. I guess I'm really thinking of it now because he was like, well, I do. And it's not how I show affection. So here, and I was just like, uh, I mean, that's why I broke up with him within like a week and a half. Cause clearly that doesn't work. But, um, but yeah, that's so, that's so that breakdown, I get what you mean that it might sound overwhelming, but it actually gives a framework to know where which aspect of it we're not okay with, or we want to shift or the time. Um, and coming back to hugs. I, yeah, no, go first. Oh, I was going to say that. I love that you said that also, because this is, this is where it comes into like the idea of bad and good. Like let's mm-hmm. throw that out because it's a compatibility thing. If PDA mm-hmm. is important to you, that's totally okay. Right. Double thumbs up. Just find someone who also wants that. Yes. Right. Clearly, you're we're not compatible. Right. You're allowed to want that. It's not like one of you was right. And one of you was wrong. You were both right. You just right. weren't right for each other. Right. Which is, right. I think is something that people get wrong about consent is like making someone out to, to be the bad guy because they want more intensity or bad girl or bad, whatever, because they want more intensity. And it's like, that's only quote unquote bad. If they're crossing the boundary. It's also bad if they're not getting what they want in the relationship and right. are harboring resentment. Right. Um, and that's where, again, it's about communication as opposed to just like, yes or no, right, wrong. Even though of course there is some of that in there. Always. There is always like little yeah. pieces of right and wrong, but I think like you said, a lot of times it comes down to compatibility and people can sometimes get Um, especially when we're young, I think a lot of this changes as you get older, like I'm 32 or I'll be 32 this year. Um, I'm, I'm way better at saying like the, the distinctive amounts of like touch I want, or if I'm cool with a hug or like all that, like it definitely gets, um, better as you get older, but 
I love, I love that you're teaching parents. I love that you're teaching kids this stuff, but I also think it's interesting. So I want to come back to the hugging because there was, I guess probably like seven, eight years ago. Now I was like hardcore in like meditation and spirituality world and all that kind of thing. And he went to this, um, I don't know, this new place in the city I'm in. And this woman opens up her arms and comes to me and is like, Hey, I'm a hugger and put me in her arms, like a massive hug. Thank you for your, and I'm not a hugger. I like, I'm super sensitive human being. I feel people shit all the time. I've been like that my whole life. I don't hug people till I know them. I don't hug my, like my best friends all the time. And I just remember, and I, and this was when I wasn't very clear on boundaries. I wasn't very clear on all this stuff. And I just remember being in this hug with this human I was just meeting. And like a part of me was like, is this what spirituality is? Am I supposed to be okay with this? And I was like shaming myself for not being okay with, with the situation. Um, and that's one that I find in culture as adults, people are like, just like here, here's a hug. Um, and I wonder like how, and then we do this, sorry, coming back, we do this with kids. And it's funny because I have actually done this to my niece. And I've realized it a couple, like right after I did it once or twice, I was like, oh shit, this is what I'm doing to like my little niece. And how, how do you teach parents that? Because even when they're a kid, it still is their body. It still is their decision. Yeah. Yeah. You are correct. And I am, I have seven nieces and nephews and I have to catch myself all the time because I'm like, I just want to like pinch your cheeks. They're so, you're just like a fat baby. And I'm like, do, do they want their, their cheeks to be pinched? How I often describe it to parents is I talk about it. Are you doing it for them? Are you doing it for you? Right. Um, Because like I, I tell people, like I love to be the fun aunt. Like I'm a goofy goober. Like I, every, all my like I am known as a silly aunt, and um, I love that about myself. And so it's really easy for me to get into this mindset of like, how can I confirm that I'm the fun aunt? Like how can I live up to that? Mm-hmm. And so throwing my niece in the air mm-hmm. or doing acro with them. I have a niece who's uh, she's like a mini me. She's 11, and and we do acro and slackline together. But it's like am when I suggest a pose to her, am I really giving her the space to say no? And am I asking her really what she wants to do today or what she wants to try or practice? Or am I just like, I'm going to show you the coolest thing ever. And it's going to be so much fun. And you're going to get all this attention because then we'll get attention. And then I'm a good aunt, mm-hmm. right? Are you hugging? Are you loving on your child? Because you're like, Oh my God, if I just give them enough hugs, they'll love me as much as I love them. Or are you giving them a hug because what they need right now is a hug. Right. And so that kind of helps them take a step back and be like, why am I doing this? And it's not bad if you want to give them a hug because you want to express your love. Mm -hmm. And that's where it gets into the difference between willing and wanting, Mm. which is a uh, language that I am borrowing from Dr. Betty Martin, who uh, created the Wheel of Consent. I'm not sure if you're... No, but I'll look at the art of giving and receiving. Oh, she's, she's great. Cool. Awesome. She's real good. Um, but she talks about like willing and wanting. And I don't, I don't, I try not to go into this too much for 
teens and tweens because there's a lot of room to manipulate that Mm, like are you willing to like just be willing to you know and like right but for for parents I do think most of the time they can understand you know is and on the scale of willing how willing are they Right. You know, and that's where it gets also into enthusiastic consent. We're not, honestly, not everything has to be enthusiastic. Right. As a standard, I talk about enthusiastic consent, but I also talk about like, you, once you're in an established relationship, you might, you know, gift someone and like make space for someone and try something that makes you a little uncomfortable, but in a safe space, because safe discomfort is okay. Mm-hmm. I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all about that before. But first time, anything, enthusiastic consent, ask every time. Like that's where I'm in the, yeah. the standard. Um, yeah. And that's what I usually teach to kids. But when when they, when or if they ask questions that get more nuanced, I answer them on. I answer them honestly too. I won't say, yes, it always has to be enthusiastic because that's just not true. And I think that's also where it becomes impossible mm-hmm. to practice consent. And so, and so then it's easier to just drop it all. Right. Right. So the, the willing and wanting one, um, I find that really interesting. Cause like, so my niece is now three years old and there was a couple of times when she was younger and I was, I was really careful when she was younger with my mom, with my sister and brother-in-law that I'd always ask for a hug. And if she said no, and she didn't say no, she said no a lot when she was like one and a half to two or whatever. She said no a lot. So I just said, okay. And her, her, um, her dad sometimes would be like, come on, go give your auntie a hug. She just spent like four hours with you, like type thing. And like trying to help her understand. And I understand that there is like trying to teach that. And like, that's, what's so hard, especially with little, little kids, but even, I guess it, it doesn't really matter the age, but, um, that I like how you put it, that it's willing and wanting. Cause like, it's like, sometimes she just like, I could tell it was like straight shut down and I would always be like, okay, that's fine. And then as she started to get older, like recently I'll be like, do you want a hug? And she'll be like, no. And it's like a game that she's like, then I go and I kind of like tickle hug her. And then she get it becomes like this big laughing thing. And it's like, but then I'm like, man, how, what's come in my mind is like, what is this actually translating to her as? Cause like, it might be because it's like me and like her and I know each other really well. And like, it is what it is, but I'm like, is this teaching her the right thing that she can say no, but kind of say yes but she's also only three. So I'm like, eventually I'll probably talk to her when she gets older. But right now I'm like, I'm just going to play this fun kind of game with her. So is that something you also kind of teach is like, it's going to change as people get older. Yeah. Two things that are coming up for me there is one is to actually not just say, okay, but actually to praise them for listening to their body. Okay, cool. Yeah. Because I think people like, there's that subtle, like, do you want to share your toy? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're, begging for an answer but if you're begging for an answer like if there's a right answer and a wrong answer why are you asking the question right. it's kind of how I see it hmm. like if you need them to share their toy because it's their younger sibling like work that out if they truly have the option to share their special toy or not ask them and whatever they answer they give they essentially get the same like uh texture of a response right So either Mm -hmm. that was so great of you to share, or I see that you're sharing your toys and look at that smile on your sister's face, or you're feeling like this is important for you right now to hold on to it. I like the way you're listening to yourself. Mm -hmm. And so no matter what, it's you are empowered in, in your answer. And the reason that 
that's important. And there isn't like, this is so new. I wish there was more, there's, there's research on some of the things and I try to be like as research based as possible, but there just isn't so much out there. But with, uh, with kids, a lot of the time their no is like, do I have power? Where do I have power? Um, hmm. And that when, when we make it a game, mm-hmm. You can it be becomes fun. a game. Yeah. 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 When you make it a game, it, it becomes a game, but it, but also why are they feeling this need to, and like, we all have that need to like hold the power. We just mm-hmm. need to make sure it's like balanced out. And what I would also say is asking them before. So it's kind of like, um, some of the best research in consent is related to kink and BDSM because it's a high stakes environment. And so it's super important there. So it's always funny. I have made the mistake of like telling a uh, middle school administrator something about kink and BDSM. And they were like, no, we're out. Like I never heard from her again. And I was like, okay, I gotta be more careful about this next time, but it's true. Like, I'm sorry, but it's true. That's where it came from. So, so like consensual non-consent is, is, is a thing in Consensual non-consent is a thing in like BDSM and kink where you're saying like, I have this fantasy of saying no. Right. And, and you doing it anyway. So right. let's talk about how we can make that happen. That's why people's safe words are things like avocado and not no, because sometimes no isn't a no in kink. Right. Yes. Yes. So you have conversations beforehand. And so you can do the same thing with kids of like, when I like, like what is our safe word kind of, mm-hmm. um, or you can use like a red, yellow, green system Yeah. of like green as I'm having fun. Yellow is like, watch yourself. And red is like, stop immediately. Right. Um, and so you can play around with those ideas to see how it fits for your relationship mm-hmm. so that they have this, so that they can, you can ask them like, hey, do you like when I tickle you outside of the the tickle hug? Do you right. like when I tickle hug you when you say no or don't you? Right. And if they say yes, you can find a way to make that work. And and if they're like, sometimes then that's information for you. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to do that if she doesn't really like it. Right, right. And the other thing that that also reminded me of is the idea of like, instead of saying like, you know, go give grandma a hug, go give auntie a hug. You can also say like, how do you want to say thank you for playing with you all day? Maybe right. they want to write you a card or draw you a picture. Right. You know, maybe they want to give you a kiss. Right. Even better in my book. Right. I love right. when my nieces kiss me. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so much beyond, right? Just that yes, that yes and no. Right. And I do think, I think they did switch it to that eventually actually was, well, how do you want to say thank you? Um, and even that sometimes like, cause then like, it was like, well, a hug says thank you. Well, it's like, well, if she's not a hugger, a hug doesn't say thank you to her. Like, so then it's also gets them to do the inquiry of like, oh, how do I show gratitude? How do I say thank you to somebody? Right. And then that becomes like its own teaching. Like, that's the thing with kids. Like I, I have no kids yet. I tell people, I probably think about parenting more than a lot of parents. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I like, I'm obsessed. I just like, I find it so interesting, like how you would nurture nurture a being and like I I don't know I just find the whole thing super 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 fascinating so um 
yeah, I, I've often thought that that's like, everything is kind of like a teaching moment in parenting. And that's why I think it can be so exhausting because every moment is like a teaching moment and a teaching of like, how do I do this properly for them? How do I show up properly for me? What is my capacity to be able to show up in? And I don't think a lot of parents even stop and ask themselves that. Yeah. And that's actually, I can always bring it back to consent. That's, but that's actually another part of consent. Whereas, Mm. right. If every moment is a teaching moment and you miss a teaching moment, what do you do? Mm -hmm. It depends what the moment is. You can just like move on and figure out next time. And many of them, but in some of them, you're like, I, that was a teaching moment on how to do something. And I messed up. I yelled at them. I was, I projected my anger. I, made an unreasonable punishment for what the actual like thing was. Mm -hmm. And that's where you can also like model and teach accountability and repair, because this is the other thing that I don't think is talked about in consent enough, which is you can be a great, amazing, empathetic, compassionate, communicative, honest, empath of a human being and still make consent mistakes. Of course. And somehow we have this idea that if you violate consent, that like you are bad, mm-hmm. you are like a rapist, assaulter, predator, mm-hmm. et cetera. And that is not helpful. No. And just you. not true. Yeah. And just not true. Thank you. And so mm-hmm. if you hug some, you know, you do a tickle hug and then you're like, ah, I've been working on that and I did it, but I didn't mean to. You mm-hmm. can go back and say, hey, I didn't ask you, did you want that or no? Or like, I'm sorry that I forgot to ask. And just like a really quick thing and a check-in and a repair that says, hey, by the way, I'm, I, my ears are open to like your feedback. I want to hear what you have to say because I, you are a active participant in whatever we do together too. It sets up that environment so that it is safe to make little mistakes and errors. And so people feel comfortable speaking up and, and that's kind of sets the tone for that conversation so that it doesn't get, you know, worse. Mm-hmm. So that actually brings me to a co- question about accountability and shame, because I think, um, I, I follow a lot of Brene Brown's work. Um, I haven't actually read a lot of her books. I'm more of a listener. So I've listened to a lot of her stuff and she makes a really good distinction between accountability and shame. And that when we hold people accountable, it is possible that they feel shame, but that isn't the same as shaming somebody. And that especially parents shaming your kids. I had this conversation with my sister, um, guilt and shame are guilt can be functional and shame is not like all the research that Brene Brown has ever done basically says that shame is not a functional place to be and isn't going to actually teach a lesson. Um, And so how do you teach parents specifically that distinction and how to use it? Yeah, uh, I actually recently created a model for this. Cool. Um, It's this, yeah, I I love a good model, Mm -hmm. a good, a good formula, a good, you know. Yeah. Uh, So I think of accountability kind of on like a spectrum where defensiveness is on one side and shame is on the other. Okay. Um, in terms of the person giving the response and accountability is in the middle. So um, if I mess up, I can either be defensive and be like, you know, kind of like victim blaming and be like, you should have told me something. It's not my fault. Like, how was I supposed to know? I can't ask about everything. Or I can be shame, like 
have tons of shame for myself and be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm never going to be a good boyfriend. I'm never going to be a good partner. I can't, I can't do anything right. How are you even with me? Why are you even with me? And now I'm the victim. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm making the actual victim out to like console me. Right. And accountability is, is somewhere in the middle where you are naming what you did, mm-hmm. but not as an excuse for what you did. Right. Right. So with that in mind, you can kind of see, oh, do I lean more defensive or do I lean more shamey? And sometimes it's more defensive with some people and more shame with other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's as a person who is being accountable mm-hmm. in terms of if I want you, my child, mm-hmm to be accountable. It's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think I've actually never thought about it on this end of, end of the spectrum. So okay. I'm going to work it out here if that works for you. Great. Totally. Give, yeah. Give me your, okay, you. but I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> right. It's, it's the child did something. Mm-hmm. You don't want them to deny it. Mm-hmm. You want them to say that they did it and then take this, take like the action steps to do better. And you also don't want them to feel so much shame that they're kind of like paralyzed. Right. Yeah, it's the same exact thing. It is. It mm-hmm. works backwards and forwards. And like how I, the, like, I use a four step, like accountability. There are four steps. I always tell parents, you don't need all, all four of them always. They don't always need to be in that order. Um, but it's essentially um, apologizing. So saying, I'm sorry. Well, acknowledging what you did. Mm-hmm. So just saying it as fact. Um, saying I'm sorry, repairing the relationship and a commitment to progress. Hmm. So it's like very action oriented. So um, if you like, if you're like, oh, I spilled milk, right? So it's, I, I spilled the milk. I didn't see it there. Just true. Not an excuse. That is just the statement. I did not see it. There was not my awareness. I'm sorry. I made a mess. I do feel bad about that. Uh, I'm going to go clean it up and I'll try to be more careful next time. Right. right. There's, there's no shame in there. It's not about who I am as a clumsy person right. or as a person who can't even keep a glass of milk on the table. Uh, but it's just like, this was something I did. I wish I hadn't done it, but now how do I fix it and how do I move on? And in a consent mistake, it can kind of look like, uh, I touched you without asking. Mm-hmm. I made assumptions based on body language, right? Not an excuse, but just like context. So, you know, that like, I see what I did. I'm naming it. I'm sorry. Uh, do you, do you need space for a minute? Like kind of repair the, like, what do you, what, what do you, you need, need mm-hmm. to feel better? Like, or just saying like, that wasn't aligned with my values. So letting them know you're still there for them. And then commitment to do better is, Hey, and if you want to continue moving forward with this, I will remember to ask, or I'll do my best to remember to ask next time because I don't want to cross your boundaries. Mm-hmm. And so it's modeling that same thing where it's, it's very, it's more like action oriented and less like about who you are as a person. It's more um, growth mindset as opposed to fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's perfect. And I think that works like it, it works for either, or, you know, as if you're a parent, um, or even like in a friend relationship, you know, that's one that I think about a lot is like consent and friendships. Um, 
I've had some, I've had a lot of friendships kind of end in the last couple of years because I started to realize some of them, they pulled away from me for reasons that it, upon reflection, I was crossing boundaries without realizing. And some that I've pulled away because I started to realize, man, like there's just not, there's not a, a understanding or compatibility here. Basically, we don't tend to think about compatibility in friendships as often, but there, but it is any type of relationship period, parent, child, I mean, parent, child can't really do much. If there's a compatibility issue, you kind of got to work it out. I think that's why it's such a unique relationship. Um, but in other relationships, it's like having, how do you figure that out? And how do you have like a conversation that's going to hold people accountable without shame? Um, and even guilt, like I, I, I held my friend accountable or like, this is one of the ones that is kind of disintegrated. I just held him accountable and he's like, stop shaming me. And I literally wrote, I said, you feel shame. I'm not shaming you. I said, I am saying what you have done. And I, and then, and he blew up and like, there's reasons why we're not friends anymore. But, um, but I think that's a really hard place is even teaching. And I wonder like, is this part of your teaching at all? Um, it's something I've started doing with teenagers a bit. It's just teaching them to understand their own emotions that, People like, I remember I I was helping two friends in a relationship issue once. And one of them kept saying to the other one, stop making me feel this way. And it's such a fascinating concept to me because no one makes any of us feel any way. We have emotions that come up in our body from things that, that are triggered by someone else's responses. But no matter what, anything I feel is mine anything they feel is theirs. And I said to the one friend, I was like, that's not a fair statement. He's not, the other person isn't willing to own their own emotions. And if you're in a relationship where someone's not willing to own like their own emotions, I don't even know how to work that out. Like that's like virtually impossible. But is that something that comes up in this kind of discussion? Yes. Um, So I'll teach, I'll teach parents that in terms of modeling. Okay. Because they can understand that. Right. In terms of it's a, I find that it's a little bit too, um, abstract. Yeah. Like you can, I'll throw phrases in there and there are kids, you know, who will get it, but that's, it's more for me about like noticing your body Mm -hmm. and what does, and like, listen to you and your body because your body has information. Right. So it's less about like, because it's, it's, it is very much about like emotions aren't bad or good. Like Mm -hmm. sadness isn't bad. Happiness isn't good. Mm -hmm. So just like you feel a pit in your stomach. What does that tell you? Mm -hmm. And like, what can you do with that? Or you feel butterflies in your stomach. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you? And what you might, what might you do with that? Right. Um, so it's a little, so, because again, it's a little more concrete. Um, but I do teach things. I try to teach things here and there, like, uh, like, I'll throw in again, depends on the group, but like I statements, right. That can be tricky because then you can say something like, I know you want me to be mad. And you're like, that starts with an I, right. But you threw a U in there. So, so sometimes even that can, it's it. I don't think clicks as much mm-hmm. as like your body sensations and what might that be telling you. And then just for the parents of like, how are you thinking about emotions and about blame in general. Mm-hmm. Do you think blame is ever productive? So funny. Cause I, 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 when I talk about accountability, it's like never the right. Yeah. It's, it's a tricky word. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts. Okay. <laughs> um, no would be my basic direct answer. I don't think blame is ever productive because blame, um, blame and shame are basically side by side. There's a difference between blame and responsibility. There's a difference between blame and fault. And someone could be at fault of something and they need to be held accountable, but blaming them actually places, I'll just use the I, um, try to think of like an actual scenario to make it make more sense. So let's say, man, nothing's coming to me in this moment, but um, like my partner, let's say he said he was going to vacuum and he didn't. And I came home and it wasn't vacuumed and I'd asked him to, Um, I could get really blamey and like, you said this and you blah, 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 blah. But all that's going to do is make him feel worse for something he's already likely going to feel bad about because he forgot or like whatever. And like, this is really small, (laughs) such a really small thing, but, um, but I, I just don't think blame is ever, ever helpful. Like in that situation, like, like if I were to come home and be like, man, I'm really disappointed. Like, just like speak to my emotions. That's not blaming, but it's just like speaking to like what I feel and Hey, if you could do it now, thank you. Um, whatever. And I think in the culture right now, so like in a bigger scheme of things in the culture right now, we have quite a blaming culture. And the thing about when we blame other people for our problems, we actually are also, um, and like my last explanation of it, that wasn't big. Like it was really his, like, that doesn't really work. But if something happens to me, let's say I, I want to choose something not too big, but, um, I break my arm. Okay. I, um, it's an accident. Some of it's kind of my fault. Some of it is just like accidents happen. I, this has happened to me. I snapped my arm in half. I can get super blamey and shamey about myself. I can get really blamey and shamey about like the person I hit. I was snowboarding um, that they were in the wrong place or blah, 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 blah. And none of that is going to create anything close to healing. So this is where I say, I don't think it's productive is because no matter for me, I'm, I'm kind of a person who always wants progress or always wants to like work towards something that's going to resemblance healing and accountability. So the only way for that to get into a place, um, I think of like working towards healing or working towards something productive is if I were to like, be like, yep, I did this. They didn't hear me scream to get out of the way. These things were all contributing factors but ultimately it was a a mistake and now my body's going to heal. Then I don't stay in this like blamey, shamey, woe is me. I'm so terrible um, mentality. And that's the, that's the distinction Brene Brown makes as well. That blame, like blame and shame is kind of like you, the person versus the action that happened. And if you focus more on the action that happened and hold people responsible, and kind of both parties responsible in a lot of situations, both parties have an ability to keep their power and move forward. Whereas if you blame somebody, you also, in my opinion, give them more of your power. So that was a long-winded thing. (laughs) I do. I'm I'm like nodding through the whole thing. Yeah. Um, Abby Wambach, actually, I heard an interview with her, which I think actually was with Renee Brown, possibly. Possibly, yeah. Um, 
she talks about blame, claim, or shame, blame, claim, which shame. is kind of, cool. I, I created the accountability spectrum and then heard this and I was like, oh, that's the accountability spectrum. Right. <laughs> Where it's like, you can either bl- like blame the other person, mm-hmm. you can shame yourself or you can claim your, either your feelings or what you did to, you know, be part of the, the whatever happened. Um, and so I was thinking about that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that resonates with you. And I, yeah. I am, I think it's, I think it's the difference also between like, is it punitive justice or is it restorative justice? Mm. Um, so is, are you blaming someone because it's fault and punishment? And I don't know much about the legal system in Canada, but like right in America, it's very punitive. It's right. like, you either get a fine or you go to jail. Yeah. And then it's like, same. it was their fault. Guilty, not guilty. I yeah. imagine it was the same. I think it's yeah. the same most places. Yeah. Um, as opposed to. I own, you know, I own this gym and someone got hurt at the gym and I need to be responsible for that. And they also need to be responsible for, um, to, or I need to maybe like have them do a safety test, like, um, how much safety knowledge do they have right, or something beforehand? And then they also have to now that they are informed, like follow those safety rules. Right. And like, we're both responsible. And that doesn't mean the, the blame. And I don't like that word either. Cause I do think it's a language shame, but I do think it's important because if, um, if you're, you know, right in someone's establishment and they don't have a, uh, you know, they don't get their kitchen checked. If you're in a restaurant, they don't get their kitchen checked and you get food poisoning. Like, no, you have a responsibility as a business, I think, to be ethical, mm-hmm. right? You also mm-hmm. have a, like, as a consumer, are making a choice. But like, there's still a feel, like, I still feel like it's not just, it's not all autonomy. Mm-hmm. It's not all that one person has to just own, like, just has to own it up to themselves. Because when you get to those bigger things like rape, Mm-hmm. Right. I don't feel comfortable being like, you got to be accountable for your, for your role in it. Like mm-hmm. I should step back on that. You can, you can hold yourself accountable in some ways. I blame the rapist. Yeah. Like you can still say like, I don't have boundary setting skills, but that shouldn't be like a reason that this happens to me. Right. Like and both that's, and. And that's where I, I completely agree with you. And I think like the rape one is one that is kind of crucial to go to because it's probably one of the most extreme. No matter what a girl does, says whatever, anything, if a guy or if a guy or girl rapes her, if, if she gets raped, that is never her fault. Like ever. Correct. And I'm 100% right. on that. Now there is... And also mm-hmm. I was in India and I was about to go off. I had been living with a yogi up on a mountain and like two days before I was about to go off on my own again, a girl got raped at four o'clock in the morning and the yogi guy looked at me and, and he, and he was so careful. He didn't want me to go. He was really nervous about me leaving and like going off traveling. And he looked at me and he's like, she should not have been raped. 
but she also should not have been out alone at four o'clock in the morning. This is India. India is not the same. And, and it's hard, but to me, he was like, like there's elements of understanding the risk that is involved in a country that is, is like, she was an, she was an American girl. She was a, um, someone who I think just thought like, I can do what I want, all that kind of thing. And like, when I was in India, man, I did not leave. If I was, if I was completely by myself by dusk, I was in my room, either reading or practicing yoga or doing something, unless I had travel friends that were going to take me back to my room. That was my rule for myself. Um, and I think that's where sometimes things can get a little hard because 100%, the person who raped her, it's their fault, but could it have been prevented if she didn't go out at four o'clock in the morning? And that's, those are the things that I think get, make the rape conversation, make sexual assault conversation really, 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 really difficult because, because I'm not blaming her for doing that but it still was preventable by her changing her decisions. And that's where I don't know how to have this conversation when we then make it about blame, because I'm not like, I, I'm not blaming her. That should not have happened to her. But I would never choose to go out at four o'clock in the morning by myself alone because I know of a potential risk factor. So I, do, I don't know how to have this conversation in a way that's going to help educate women and help women feel empowered to make decisions that they want to make and, and live the lives they want to li live when we also live in a culture that may always be this way where rape happens. Two things are coming up for me. The mm -hmm. first is I teach parents often about the language shift from but to and. Yeah. So she shouldn't have been out at four, like he shouldn't have raped her, but she shouldn't have been out at four o'clock. He shouldn't have raped her and, mm -hmm. and she was out at four o'clock because there's also no should because what does should mean? Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Um, So she can control her actions. He can control his. Yeah. His actions were a violation of someone else's rights. Yeah. Her actions were not a violation of someone else's rights. Yeah. That's why he, or has, uh, he, got, he is blamed for that. It was not her fault. Yes. Could she have made different decisions knowing certain things? Yes. And, and that is, that assumes that she had friends to walk her back home or she, um, she had the money to not have to walk home instead of taking the you know, she couldn't have called an Uber and whatever. Like that is not there. I think there are a lot of assumptions that, that sometimes go into what the victim could have been doing differently, but is still not violating anyone's rights where yeah. he is. Yeah. Um, and so again, there's still room for, I think, personal like accountability and say in, in any situation and saying, what can I do differently next time? Whether that be learn boundary setting skills, start to carry a, a you know a, a knife like a blade. Mm -hmm. um, whether that be uh, 
you know, sign up for couch surfing and get some friends when I travel. There are like a lot of different actions that, that you can take along the way. And at the same time, you, you did not do something wrong. You may have done something stupid. Right. And there's a difference there. There's a difference there, Mm -hmm. but, but doing something stupid is not, I've done stupid things Mm -hmm. and I'm not always the person to blame. Like I have, as a small business owner, I, I registered for like a, like a copywriting course once and, uh, it was not for me. Right. And, and so I hold myself accountable. And at the same time, I'm like, they, their marketing was fucking brilliant. Like they pulled me in and like, in a way, like manipulated me Mm -hmm. in this country is ethical manipulation, apparently, but like, you know, (laughs) it's, it's like a, it's, it's very tricky. And I'm, so I'm still can like make a better decision next time, but they're not off scot-free because I could have made a decision to not buy it. Like that was I get like stupid is stupid is a harsh word. I, and I don't mean like, and it's a judgment word, but like there were hindsight is 2020. Right. But I didn't violate someone's rights. Right. Um, right. And so I think, I think that's the, the big difference and why I think it's so important that the, you know, people say like, don't teach, teach, don't teach girls to say no, teach boys not to rape essentially. Yes. Yeah. Um, like that phrase has gone around and I'm, I'm with you there, but it's, it's both. It's both. Thank it's both because yeah. we're going to, and often what happens is that in, in like, I would say most situations, or at least the consent, cause I don't, I don't talk about sexual, uh, sexual assault much. Yeah. Um, right. in terms of like rape, I talk about sexual assault, like you didn't, you just like pushed her head down right. and like it, you call it a bad date. Right. Um, but in most of those, like in those situations, it's usually like people just people, but either person could have stopped that. Ultimately it's the, like the person who did the thing yeah, who took the action yeah, where their fault lies. It doesn't mean that they couldn't have done, you know, something to prevent it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's or all made I... it less or made it less likely or made it less likely. And that that's one thing I actually found, um, found a little interesting with the whole, um, cause a hundred percent, I like, I like that statement. Don't, well, I don't really like the don't teach girls to say no, teach also teach girls to say no, but let's maybe focus on teaching boys not to rape. Like let's focus on teaching boys not to rape, not focus on what it is the women are doing. And also teach women to be careful because yes, we're going to start teaching boys all this stuff, but we have a generation of guys that weren't taught this right now. We're in a world where that, and, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm not making it that ever, if someone rapes someone else, that it's ever the person's fault, but we also live in a world where that is happening. And so if we're not teaching girls to be careful of how they're, of of any of the bullshit that is part of that, if we're saying, yep, that's okay. And it's only on them right now, we're in a culture where then like, I just, I, I feel that that's not the current best practices to actually protect women. 
I disagree. Hey, cool. <laughs> okay. So I agree with you. Teach boys not to rape. We don't need to teach women to be careful. That I think is the wrong word. We need to teach women to say no and to set boundaries and to have consent conversations mm -hmm. because it is not too way too much of the time. It is not because of a lack of care that this is happening. Hmm. Okay. In relationships. Yes. Okay. This happens. Right. In, uh, in college, because the friends set them up to like be alone in the room together. Right. That happens because they want to be accepted, you know, by their social group. They let things a little too far. That's, that's too much responsibility of like tiptoeing around the world. That just isn't okay. Are there extreme mm. situations where like, I honestly, I would tell an American guy, like an American boy or man not to go out in certain areas of India alone. Right. Because they can also get mugged. So it's not, I don't think it's like a gender thing. I think right. there is like when you're in a foreign country and maybe you're like Wi-Fi is not so good and you don't have a cell phone and like crime rate is high. I think we all need to take care, but that is not, that is not like, uh, I don't think care is the right Fair word for women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's more like how do we, how do we be empowered in that situation, and right? How do we do? Um, how do we teach about the 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 dangers, and how do we set up systems so like there's harm reduction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm but you still get to live your life. Right. Um, do what is, I'm curious about your reaction. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that. I think I agree with that a lot. Yeah. The care, the care is, is the incorrect word. Yeah. It's bringing me to the concept that I wanted to talk to you about, I guess, um, in coercion and also like power dynamics in relationships. Because I think, I think sometimes I want to kind of distinguish maybe between like the, like rape that happens. That's completely like in a park, a guy just like grabs a girl, that kind of thing. And sexual assault that happens in a relationship between two people because communication isn't correct. And I want to kind of leave mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the one in the park. Um, that's a very clear, just absolute violation. And I think sometimes things have, I've seen people term things as sexual assault when, and you kind of alluded to this earlier and it's kind of an incorrect communication between two parties because we're not taught it and we're learning. And I wonder how you kind of talk about that with teens, with parents, with everything. Yeah, uh, it's so funny. My brother and I were having a conversation about this the other week. We got we got it cut off, um, but now I wish we. I, I my guess is with me and my brother. My guess is our resolution would have been like, huh, that's more to think about. Right. <laughs> but it was the conversation was around. It started with a conversation about um, racism and okay. using the word racism for things like. Uh, KKK and using racism for things like touching someone's hair, right. touching a black woman's hair. And then the conversation led into sexual assault, rape in the park, mm -hmm. pushing someone's head down who you just went on a date with and agreed to come home with you. And I'm of the opinion 
that that one is that I am of the opinion that calling it sexual assault and then going deeper is a for lack of a for judgment good idea and my brother thinks it's a bad idea hmm. he thinks that it scares people away and it, and it makes them think that like they're doing this crazy thing that they're not really doing and and my thing is like you aren't in a an assault spectrum like mm-hmm. right like there's a racism spectrum to pretend that what you're doing is is not that thing gives you it, it doesn't help it creates a binary like that's sexual mm. assault and that's not mm. and I don't and I'm not saying that this is again like I don't know what the answer is mm-hmm. but that's what that's what I think of like and like I will say to people sometimes like and well I don't know how this will continue to go we'll see what happens but like I will say like I define sexual assault as a sexual advance on someone without their consent. I have been sexually assaulted and I have both been a sexual assaulter. Like, Mm. and I will claim that for myself. There are Mm. times where I have, you know, done the kissed someone or touched someone in a way that they did not want me to. And I have also been touched as, um, and I think that allows people to like be accountable because the consent educator said she did it too. And, mm. and so it, it gives me the space to be like, oh, I made a mistake also. But if I'm like up here and I'm like, no, no, no. Like I, I've never even like been near sexual assault. Mm-hmm. I've never been a perpetrator. But like you, like there's no other, we haven't come up with a word for it. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that like, it's such a blurred line then of what is and what isn't. And it creates that binary that again, I don't, I don't think is helpful. I think, I think rape can be a distinguisher for some mm-hmm. people, but even that I think is, was it forceful or was it just like, you were not consenting? Were you conscious? Were you unconscious? Like that experience is going to be different for everyone. Mm-hmm. But if if you're like, no, it wasn't that because she was this or because he was that, it, it gets too blurry. Mm-hmm. So I do call, I say like, you are probably like guilty of this. And it's because we're never taught, we weren't taught it. Mm-hmm. And not like, and, and so like, here comes punitive justice time. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. It reminds me. So like a couple of days ago, I had a, a podcast where I brought up racism and I said to me, I feel like the word racism is used too much when we could be using mm-hmm. biases versus racism because racism is an actual belief of superiority. Whereas we could have biases that show up differently when it's not actually stemming from, I actually firmly believe I'm superior to you, but I just have like this weird bias that's been ingrained in me. And I, for me, I made that distinction because I think, I think for me personally, I do think there's a time to diffuse the power of words, but I also think there is a time to hold a word with the power that it needs to hold so that when it's mm-hmm. stated, um, it means something. And I think racism is, is one that I feel has been diffused in a way that it's not benefiting the culture personally. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but she kind of said the very similar thing that you did in terms of sexual assault that she's like, well, everyone's kind of a racist. And so it was like, and it was very interesting because it was basically, sorry, I just need to move this back. Sounds like the same conversation, but in reverse. Yeah. Um, because I think, but that's, I, I, with, when it comes to sexual assault though, I think I agree with you in sexual assault because we also have the word rape and rape and sexual assault. That would be to me, this distinction of racism versus biases because perhaps now um so what qualifies something as a rape versus a sexual assault i don't know is is my answer right but then it would be so it would be the spectrum of sexual assault and rape would be on one end and full consent would be on the other i think that will also like and well where that's where nuance comes in so was it Mm -hmm. like forceful rape was it unconscious rape? Was it like, we can use other words, right? Was it implicit racism? Was it like overt? Was it covert? Was it, you know, there are other words to use, but it's all, I do think it has to be all around that thing because it's not about like, sure you have like, there could be your individual like conscious, I hold, you know, one race in higher regard than another, but there's also, you can't get rid of that cultural bias i don't know that in the definition of racism it has to be like conscious it's a held belief like we have we have like we operate on beliefs all the time like someone who's often like depressed holds the belief like i'm not worthy or like i'm i don't have worth and it still exists even before they know how to label it yes yeah um so i don't so i think that the idea of like it being like a conscious belief or an unconscious belief doesn't really change it, but it's actually better information to be more specific in our language of like, mm. I, right. I, I am a, a, a racist that kind of takes away the power of the word versus please don't also take, take that clip out. Please don't just like shorten that down. So you now have a thing of me being like, I would never do that. It. Yes. Know. Fuck no. That's shit. I'm not going to do ever. Cause I just like, <laughs> I, just, I hate like, it. Saying it. I was just my like face just like got red. Um, no, or I, oh, but it's, it's, but it, I don't give, take away the power of that word. If I say I am un, if I, like I am unconsciously racist and here is how versus hey. someone, you know, in the KKK who right. is right there. And, and again, this is, I don't, I'm, there are so many different theories. Like you're more aligned with my brother who was like, stop calling it that, right? It takes away its power. Mm-hmm. And I, and I see that perspective and I, and I lean in the perspective of like a spectrum and it's all rooted in the same belief. It's all rooted in white supremacy for racism. And it's mm-hmm. all rooted in like the patriarchy and purity culture when it comes to sexual assault, it all co- and like not, not having bodily autonomy. So it all comes from the same thing. So to call it something different doesn't make sense for my mind. Hmm. So to you, basically all of it is just sexual assault. Like that's everything on that spectrum. You can just say is sexual assault hands down. Like no, on that, op- I will, no. Okay. Sorry. Like, I'm just trying to understand. Yes. And no, yes. And okay. no, I, I will say like, did you get consent before you kiss them? I won't say, did you sexually assault them when you kiss them? Right. You'll phrase it in consent. Because that okay. does, that's, in terms of communication, yes, okay, that just doesn't compute. Yeah, yeah. Big picture, talking about what it means to 
to do sexual assault, I will put in everything from kissing someone without them wanting, without them wanting it to, to, to rape. But we're going to talk about this very differently. Just like I won't say like, um, I'm racist because I assumed like, I won't like, like, I'll say I made an assumption that that person was, that homeless person was uneducated, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a black person I'm talking about. I'm not saying I'm a racist because that's a black person and I think he's uneducated because he's homeless. But I'm Mm -hmm. not calling it out every time because that's just not how we speak. Right. If that makes sense. Um, But if someone's asking me to reflect on that and they said, was that an act of, was that like your unconscious racism at play? I'll say yeah, you know what, it, it might have been, there's no way for me to know for sure, because that's a belief as opposed to sexual assault, which is an action. But like, I, right. I, that could be the case. Yeah, I guess. So I guess my curiosity and the nuances for just like what you just said there. And I like that you said it could be, was that racist? It could be, it could also be they're homeless and the race of the person is irrelevant. And that's one mm-hmm. thing I've seen in the racism conversation is that and, and I kind of want to get back onto the sexual assault, but I just want to say this right now for the racism conversation. I find that as soon as a race is involved, it becomes racism when it, the action that was there may have been present regardless of race. And that we don't seem to think of it as that, like one that I've seen said is like people who cross the street when they're, when they're, when a black person is there, I used to serve until four o'clock in the morning leaving the bar with a buttload of cash because that's how I made a lot of my money. No matter who a woman was across the street, I didn't give a shit. If I had to, if I was walking next to somebody, I crossed the street always. It was a rule I had as prevention for anything happening to me. The only person who's ever going to think that's racism is the black person when that action has nothing to do with race. Because that action is something I take regardless of race. And that's something I find there's a nuance in all of those that I just don't think is talked about as much. So first Um, I do want to just call out that we're two white presenting women. Totally. Having this conversation. Um, And the second thing I will point out is that I don't just think it's a, I don't think that's true. That's just a black person who's going to think that. And I think it's kind of like this idea of like, there are examples where it is true that we will act differently because a person is black. So just because there are examples where you did that regardless of their race, it doesn't mean that it wouldn't be a problem for you in a different situation. Maybe it was light out, but you still had a buttload of cash where you did cross the street because it was a black person. Every situation is different and every person is different, but just because that particular situation, you can identify a situation in which that wasn't the case, doesn't mean it's not often the case or it's not the case at all. Right. And I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. I guess my cure. Yeah. Uh, that, um, the idea of like, oh, look, men are trash, right? Okay, great. You can point to the person, the man who's not trash. Like men are still trash. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like when people talk about like the problem of the patriarchy, they might say that. Right. And, and, and me identifying the man, I'm like, no, like you're making it about men. And it's not like, I know this woman who's an asshole. And I know this man who's like, 
sent from God, like that doesn't change the fact that like we are experiencing a problem of men not respecting women and not giving women a chance to speak and not listening to it. Like that doesn't change that just because you can point to an example where that wasn't the case. No, I get that. And, and I think that's, um, I think all I'm saying is it's hard then in the moment when these things happen to know if it's racism or if it's not. And so when we start to assume Mm -hmm. that something is racism because the action looks as if it could be, we are then describing intent based on the other person. And I think that's a line that I would like to see negotiated a little bit more perhaps gentler than I think it is right now because... And, and even still like actions can happen that present a certain way that actually aren't that way. And, and that's starting to make assumptions based on people's actions that I just don't think is fair. So I think that's all I was getting at because yes, do, do people cross the street in a racist manner? Yes, that happens. But that doesn't mean every single time somebody crosses the street, it is then a racist action. That's the distinction I wanted to make. Yes, right. That That is fair. But the fact that it's happening at all, I think, is a problem. And so to talk about that this time it wasn't, I think just like is, is giving leeway to stop the conversation and like get into that nitty gritty where at, which which defeats the purpose of like the overall conversation, which is it could have been, though. And the truth is, there's no way to know either way. Right. But then I guess that's like. So it's defense. So I see it as like defensiveness of like, it wasn't because of that. And you don't know it wasn't because of that, as opposed to accountability, which is, it might have been. And and now that mm-hmm. brings me into awareness of, am I doing that? Hmm. I hear you. And mm-hmm. it's just, and I think it's, to bring it back to sexual assault, I think it could be yeah. the same thing of like, of bringing yourself into awareness of saying, no, it wasn't a sexual assault. It was only a kiss or she gave me the clues or she whatever. Like you might be correct. And maybe it's a little more clear, but again, sexual assault like is is widely defined, but, but what if you said, oh, that might have been, I might have been acting on this idea that I am entitled to a woman's body or that I make decisions about sex. And so I was using confirmation bias and seeing cues that I wanted to see. It's not a, say this very lightly it's not a bad thing to be racist and it's not a bad thing to be a sexual assaulter but like claim that you probably are because we grow up in this society and so what can I do about it to actively like bring awareness and then take action to combat it Hmm. I think maybe that's where I struggle with it it's like to me it is a bad thing to be a racist like maybe I I don't know how to conceptualize racism in a way that it isn't bad so it's like to say it's not a like I, I get I totally get what you're saying I, mean, I absolutely I, yeah, get yeah, yeah, what you're okay. saying but I just like I think that's where the disconnect is for me because yeah. I have done like I like when when everything kind of blew up in March um again like the BLM it's common waves because of these uh, these things keep happening um this last time there was a bigger reaction um and and I did, I did, like I got Layla, F, or I didn't get her book, um, but I got 
I think it was Rachel Carr. I forget which one. One of them had a, a email thing that they would send to you of like, go through the different steps of like looking at your own racism. And I did it. And, and I think that's where a lot of some of my curiosities came from. Cause I was like, yes. And also this, yes. And also this. And I think I I'm, I'm just somebody who I tend to look at the whole picture. Um, but maybe, maybe my yes and questions are just now is not the time for them. Maybe that, maybe that's what it comes down to is that it's like, we need to focus on creating solutions to the other side of the problem right now, and then bring in the and portion once we find more solutions, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I think it's also that we're, it will be, if it ever happens, it will be a long time before racism, sexism, ableism, et cetera, isn't a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if ever, like there, there is right, parts if of mm-hmm. me, if ever, like, if if, ever. and yeah, I don't absolutely. mean that to be negative, but it's like human if beings ever. have biases. Mm-hmm. Like we're. Mm-hmm. So. If we're living in a system that is that, the, I don't know what the yes ands give us there. To remind people, I think that things are not always what they appear to be. That, that's what it does for me is just because something appears to be a way doesn't mean it is. And making it that way every mm. single time is not going to be beneficial or empowering. I think it's a different, okay. So, so, and then there's, there's the other yes. And which is like, you are, a, you are a good person and you are racist and that's the yes. And it's not mm. you, you are, or I, when I say it's not, I mean like my mindset is like, no, I get you're, it. Yeah. you're, you're racist, like you, you're racist because of how we grew up. Um, so you're racist. And also you might not have been doing this because of race. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I think the, I, I don't think that yes. And while it may be true, there's, I don't think it's as helpful as the other yes. And hmm. uh, of I am a person, you know, I'm a good person or I'm a person who's committed to anti-racism and who wants mm-hmm. to make this world more equitable and I want to do better and I will trip myself up sometimes and I might not know if that's because of some internal stuff that I can't get to and I can't access or if it's because of something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's almost the same thing of like, right, like the person who if someone violates my boundaries because my sexual boundaries, because they genuinely thought I was giving them the body language signals to go ahead, I still want them to apologize for not, for like whatever um, might have, I'm trying to think if, if the parallel works. So I, they're making assumptions based on race, right? They're making assumptions based on my body language. Like I still want them to apologize, even if it really wasn't like on purpose or something. Cause it's still like, yes, but it could have been 
and my feelings matter. And I've experienced so many boundary violations that I'm so sick and tired of like, oh, it could have been, oh, it could have been benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt. It's not about race. It's not about sexual assault. It's not whatever that like, that, and, and that's, I think the difference between like when a person of color is like, like white friend, like true friend makes a racism potentially, potentially racist mistake versus a stranger. Mm-hmm of like, or the person you don't know so well, the person you don't know so well, like they, you're going to be a little bit on edge about why did they do that? Why didn't they do that? Mm-hmm. Whereas the person, you know, you're going to give more forgiveness of like, oh, that was probably not a race thing. It was probably something else because like, I know that person better. And I think it's the same thing with like crossing someone's sexual boundaries, perhaps again, just playing with this idea right now mm-hmm. that like mm-hmm. when you know someone better, it could be, you're going to believe that it was genuinely a, like a mistake in good faith. Um, you're going to believe like, and if you don't know them well, you're going to be like fucking men, even if that's not the case. And I do think that that man, because he has power with power, with great power comes great responsibility also has to like, like say like, you know what? I need to empower you and not abuse my power by being like, (laughs) That's not a big deal. Like my role is to empower you and be like, I am going to apologize Mm -hmm. because I haven't had to go through whatever you've had to go through. And so I, I don't know what that's like. And I know I can apologize because there are so many past mistakes that I haven't apologized for. Like overall, my behavior can do better. I feel like I've been just talking. No, I, I I I get what you're saying. saying. I I get what you're saying. Um, I think I'm going to try to break it down a little bit because I I think I get what you're saying, but I think, I think what it comes down to fundamentally is the assumptions we make. So like in that first one that you said, the guy made an assumption based on your body language and in consent culture and what, what I'm starting to understand, that's what he claims is that he made an assumption. So claim let's let's just try to say that everyone is speaking the truth here okay like because otherwise that gets too complicated so he claims exactly the but that's exactly I don't think we can do that because you don't know if what you were doing is racist or not you don't know if you acted upon her because you read her body language or because you kind of assume you get to do this that's I think that's exactly we can't we can't know the truth okay but okay but then I think the way through that isn't to continue to make assumptions of the other's intent. It's to clarify more. So again, that first thing for him to have read you, I think, and that's like in the consent culture, hey, I think this is what you're saying. Is this what you want? But you can't clarify because I can't know if it was racism. I can't know if I was acting out of white privilege and I can't know if I was acting out of man privilege. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can. There are times where you're like, oh, my brain is alerting me and this has come into my conscious. But sometimes it's your subconscious or your unconscious. And in those moments, it's not about clarifying. It's about being accountable. It's It's about owning like what comes with your privilege or power. And, and what does that mean? How do you empower others as again, opposed to like abusing your power? And that comes with, I'm sorry, 
that did not cut that was not aligned with my values that did not come out right moving on whatever the situation may be like uh you know a quick like a like a thank you for your patience whatever it is um it's not about like oh i was reading your body language i'm like like that wasn't like a male um, a male you know whatever thing like that's defensiveness and i think you can do that if Again, and I think, right, that's the difference between like naming it and like making an excuse, mm-hmm. right? My, I misread your body language. I thought you were done speaking. I thought, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is, like you might've interrupted them because they're black and you're white. You might've interrupted them because you genuinely thought they were done speaking. doesn't matter. You still apologize. And like, you still, um, and then when someone says that might have been, because they were black you can say it might have been I'm sorry like I'm sorry if it was we live in a white supremacist culture like why did you make assumptions about how you could touch your body I thought it was I think it was body language um but you're right it might have been I'm you know I'm behaviorally trained to just like ask for forgiveness not for permission it's possible like I get what you're saying. I, I'm, I'm skeptical, I guess, at, to the functionality of how that's actually going to play out in society with strangers, with people. Um, I, I guess that's what I'm like. Now we have to be guessing of our intentions at all the time. Like I, I think doing more inner work to figure out what our actual intention was in the moment feels way better for me personally. That's what I like to do. Did, was that my intention? I, I'm also somebody who I don't, I don't really um, I like to apologize when I know it's something I can apologize authentically for. I don't like to apologize just to make somebody else feel better. I don't think that that's actually a worthwhile apology. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I, this accountability is different, right? But accountability is different. You're not saying I'm sorry for being racist. You're saying, I'm sorry for interrupting you. Now, when someone says that could have been racist, that's a moment for acceptance. You're not apologizing because someone's not calling you out. Like, I don't think maybe this is, has happened to you, right? Like the reason you interrupt something and then someone says like, oh, you're such a race, like that was so racist of you. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's happening. I think what's happening is that you're doing an action and then upon reflection, you're talking about it with your friends. They might, you know, call you in or call you out for a racist thing that's where it's about accountability and not defensiveness. The other times it's just, I apologize for the action. I touched your hair without asking you. It's just apologizing for the action. It's not about like the intent behind it. That right is for your own like personal reflection on the time. Mm -hmm. But in terms of what the reason was, someone brings up a hypothesis that has to do with like the inner workings that we can't understand about ourselves and our biases. I think that it's to say like, but it wasn't racist or, but it wasn't sexist. You can't say that. And so that only hurts and is just another way of you using your power to stay on top. Not you personally, but like how we do, because we we dismiss, we dismiss that other thing. But I agree. If someone, if someone said to you, if you interrupted someone and someone was like, that was racist, I'd be like, what? Right. Right. No, that I'm, that I'm with you. I'd be like, uh, maybe I'm, sorry I don't should we continue the meeting like I feel like 
It would, it would get um, real that, weird. Yeah. It would get real weird. Yeah. I think what happens, I think more of these conversations are having kind of post facto. I don't know. What that like after the fact. Yes, I think so. <laughs> speaking Latin. I make up words all the time. So just I do it. My boyfriend, I combine words and he'll look at me. He's like, that, that's not a thing. It's called a portmento. A portmento? You know that? A portmento. It's a thing? It's like when you smush. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> like a, I don't know, like a, a phone case could be called like a face. I mean, that doesn't make sense because but like a face spelled with a PH. I gotcha. Okay. okay. It's called okay. a portmento. P-H-A-S-E. Cool. Phone case. Yeah. Cool. That's what we do in culture. Like we do that culturally. Fantastic and fabulous is fantabulous. I love it. <laughs> cool. Portmento. Um, Thank you. Thank yeah. you for teaching me that. I um, also, all this conversation is based in like, it's very funny because like I literally started this conversation with my brother and now it's like evolved here. And like, yeah. as far as I can tell, I agree with all the things I said and I'm mm -hmm. excited to reflect on all of it. Yeah. Just and I, that's how I am too. And I think that's what people need to know um, for listeners of the podcast and stuff. And just in general, people's opinions can change especially in this public forum that we all exist in now where like there's Twitter, there's um, I can't, Instagram. Facebook, Instagram, all the things that we put ourselves out I'll in. I don't even use Twitter that much. It's funny that Tumblr. that was in my head. But um, someone can say something and even in the day, they can reflect upon something and change their mind. And I've had friends react on something I said like eight years ago. And be like, but you said that one time. And I'm like, yeah, and I've grown, hun. Can we like, what the hell? And so I think we need to remember that like these conversations happen. And if I change my mind on something big, I'm, I personally, this being my own podcast, I'm going to try to like bring it back up at another time for listeners who are going to continue listening. But that that's just something that we need as our culture to keep space for change. Because every single human is evolving and changing. And I was listening to Ben Shapiro the other day and I know lots of people hate Ben Shapiro. I listen to all sides of things um, because that's how I get a global idea of things. So yes, I listen to Ben Shapiro. Um, not all the time, he came up on my Facebook and I was curious, but he, at one point I watched him and this guy was was saying, you're a racist because of something you said. And he looked at him and he likes like, yeah, that's when I was 19 years old. And I've already written four articles calling myself out on that. And it's like, we need to give space for people's ideas to change and for people to have dialogue of, of making mistakes, of being able right. to make and, mistakes. And that's the difference between calling out and calling in. So if, if that person had like, what about that racist thing? Like, yeah, of course you're going to be defensive. Right. Right. But if someone says like, Hey, what do you think led you to say that thing when you were 19? And that person says, right. I was 19. It doesn't matter. That's, I think like not necessary defensiveness. The other one I'm like, okay, is it necessary? No. But like, does it take a whole lot of work to get past? Yes. The second example they asked you a very like real question about like the factors that go into how we think about things. And you could have said like, right, that's where it's like, we're raised in a 
white supremacist culture. And I said that and I didn't know. And I was raised in an all white town. And these were my parents value. And you can start like talking about the other things and be accountable, give context, but be accountable. Mm -hmm. um, and not, not assuming the worst, which again is calling into call, I'm like nervous to get back on the race, racism thing because I want to okay. keep talking about consent. Yes. But, um, and we're past that. Now. Like yeah. we've gone all over. Um, but when it's like calling someone out and saying like, that was racist of you to do that. Like, no, you are calling them out. They will be defensive. Right. Whereas if you say like to your work friend after, be like, do you know if that came from like, like I haven't seen you do that to any of our white colleagues. Like, do you think that maybe came from a racist place? Like, right that's where it's like not not the time to be defensive the time to be like maybe right let me think about it okay thank you, you for pulling that in later on and if you and you might need to repair and be like hey that was messed up I don't know if you've noticed I've never and like I don't know that's not a question honestly for me to answer I wouldn't know how to go about that like mm -hmm. in terms of like talking to the person after um especially right. because they might not have felt it was racist so that can be a whole can of worms right um but but I think that's the difference I think between again like 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 when I say it's all like lands on like a, 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 a sexual assault spectrum it's not calling people out for being sexual assaulters right it's like right. calling people in and say like this is all part of this like system that perpetrates like that like makes it real easy for you to believe that you have a right to a another person's body or the culture that believes that like women are sexually oblivious and like it's the man's responsibility to take action and like you know yeah yeah which is such a ridiculous thought such a ridiculous thought but so and like believe it really we're in we're innocent oh yeah we're innocent I mean did you see the Britney Spears documentary no you're in no. Canada yeah oh uh, no I was talking to someone yesterday on Instagram who's in Canada and wants to see it but I'm obsessed with the story because not even the conservator do you know like they I know about it roughly. I, I followed like, her yeah. kind of stuff with her dad and like stuff years ago. And I just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so not even the conservatorship stuff, but just the way we talked about Britney Spears and right. like the early two thousands of like, is she innocent or is she a home wrecker? And it's like, what, what is, what does that mean to be innocent? And like, you would never hear a man be talked about as innocent right. in celebrity culture. In fact, if he was like owned his like conventional sex appeal and was like a church going like sweet boy, he would be praised even more. Right. Meanwhile, if Britney Spears steps into her sexuality and like the conventional sexuality and is a church going whatever, like she's she's, she's confused. Yeah. She right, she's shamed because which one are you? You're trying to trick us. Like, no. <laughs> that's what I'll say on that okay but yes people do think people do think that like a woman being like you're either innocent or mischievous and if you're too much of one or the other you're either not interesting if you're too much of a good girl or you might mm -hmm. or you're you're, you're a slut and mm -hmm. I don't want to have anything to do with a slut right right I think I, I just coming back to what you said a little bit before there, I really appreciated your distinction and I think it helped me and hopefully will help other listeners um, in 
in how we talk about racism or how we talk about sexual assault, that it's like, don't use it. Cause people say like, call it out. And I don't think I personally think there is a time, there is absolutely a time to call something out. If you do it with a person in a more respectful way, you will 99, whatever, some stupid made up statistic have more success in helping change that behavior than you ever will calling something out. And, and, and like, we're in a call out culture, we're in a cancel culture right now that people are seeing that it's not actually benefiting. When you silence somebody, you give them more power, not less. When you actually talk to them, like they're a human and not negate their own humanity, you will, we will all have more success in helping them change their mind than shaming them, blaming them, calling them out and silencing them. That's just my fundamental belief. So yeah, I appreciated that you brought it in, like how it is that we might engage in, in that curiosity of why are you coming from a place of, of racism? Were you actually coming from a place of thinking that you deserved something because she showed up a certain way or he showed up a certain way? Um, those are more, I think, intimate conversations with people than a random person on Facebook is going to call someone else out. Right. Yeah. Right. And I would say the time for calling, right. Definitely, definitely not on the internet. Yeah. I would say the time to, to call someone out is if you have power or privilege in that situation and they are actively mm-hmm. like oppressing or like fucking over someone else. Mm-hmm. And it's very um, overt. That, like it's very clear. That, that's like a time where, but again, it still doesn't have to be, um, I'm going <laughs> to, so this is going to sound like I'm putting myself on this pedestal, but I'm not, this is like, but this is like, this was happened this year, probably this summer was the first time where I was like, oh, I understand cool. how I can be an ally. So I'm at this grocery store and this white dude who's kind of uh doesn't look like he has all his marbles um as my grandma would say and the reason I say this is because he like asked me who was like holding a shopping cart about like if they had a certain spice anywhere right like it could have been just like friendly whatever but something Mm -hmm. about it seemed off um I later while I'm checking out my groceries he's in like the line across from me and he's buying just like like a big thing of like oregano or something. Okay. And, and I hear him say to the cash register who is, looks like she might be Filipino, perhaps. Um, sorry, do you hear the sirens in the background? I do, but that's okay. It's, it's life. We live in real life. Um, <laughs> we live in real life. Uh, I live in New York City. Um, so this, uh, we're both being checked out by women of color. And he's like, I put a dollar in the tip jar earlier. Can I just use that to help pay for this? And gives her like three dollars because it's like four dollars or three fifty nine or something. And she's like, no. And he's like, oh come on, please. And and she's like, and he's like, but I put it in earlier and it was mine and whatever. I'm like, it's just fine, oregano. I'm so confused. This is just a weird situation. And eventually, I I turned to him and I was like dude, she said no. Like, you can't just do that. Like, 
now. And then he was like, okay, fine. And then like put it down and walked out. Hmm. Um, and that was a time where I did, I wasn't calling him out right. for being like a white man talking to a woman of color, but I was calling him out of like, you have to stop, like you have to leave. Um, calling him in, I think would be like, hey, you know, what's going on here? Like, let's have a chat. Like, but it was clearly like, you're using, like you have power here. I won't say you're using your power, but you have power here as a man, as a white person. Um, so, like this needs to stop like now. And that's, I think, a time where like calling out is okay. It's interesting though, because I wouldn't actually say you called it out. You just kind of re-emphasized mm. it's, hmm. I have, a t I have quite a different okay, view fair. of that. Um, fair. No, you're right. If You know what? If he said why or something, maybe I might have said something like, I, I don't know. You're right. I don't know if I would have said it. I wouldn't have been like, you're a white man. I wouldn't have said that. You're right. right. And that would have been really calling it out if he like, if he asked. I guess um, my curiosity in that situation is, would you- But I think that's still calling out. That's still calling out in terms of, I didn't do it, like, I didn't have him reflect. I was just like, dude, fucking stop. Right. So in that way, it was more of an out than an in, but you're right, I didn't name it. And, and in that situation, I don't know that there's anything to name other than he's just kind of being a dick. You know, like I, I wouldn't necessarily say that was, you can't, we can't know that if that was racism. We can't know if he would have done that with a- with a like just like oh come on he could have done the same thing with the white white man white man person possibly more unlikely I will agree with you there but we don't know and that's where Correct. I get really really difficult and starting to like if you had called it out as something in my personal opinion that's inappropriate because you're making an assumption when that's not clear why he might just be trying to get away with not paying full price for oregano like that's what he's trying to do is get away with not paying full price for oregano. Let's be honest. He didn't fucking put a dollar in the tip jar. He's like what? <laughs> so, but I think, but I think what you can call out is that he has, is he is the more, is he has a privilege in this situation that they don't. I can't say why, why he took the actions he took, whether they were rooted in racism or sexism or, or whatever, but, but he is a, I could have said to him, you are a white man telling a woman of color to just like, that it's okay. That is not okay. Mm -hmm. Like I could have said that because that still is true. Yes. And this is her, then this is where she works. She knows what, like you are like mansplaining, like if it's okay or not okay. Like you are doing that. Whether it's root, where whether it's because you believe that you have a right as a man to do that is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. I mean, not for his own personal reflection. I think that's great. No, yeah, go reflect on that. In the but moment. like for the situation, mm -hmm. it's irrelevant of what the roots are because the truth is like you are white, you are a man. This happened. Mm -hmm. And that's I think I think that's the I think the idea that abusive power has to be um, explicit is not true. You can be abusing your power without realizing it. Mm -hmm. even regardless of its of what it's rooted in.
Hmm. It's interesting because like in that moment, in some ways she has more power because she's saying like, I, I don't know that, that one's, that one's interestingly simple and complex to me, but I think that's also life. Life is like that. It is simple and complex. Yeah. Um, I'm glad, I'm glad that you just said something like, Hey, she said, no, shut up, walk away because like, right. but I think we should say that regardless of like the color of the individual. Right. Right. But, but what are the chances it would have happened? I think it would have, I think if it was, the chances it like could have happened if it was a um, a man of color or a a white woman. I think the same could have. Ha- I think it could have happened. I think if it was a white man, less likely. He would just be like, "God damn it!" And then that would have just been the end of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, know. he maybe went in There's a specific line to try it on purpose, right? Like he could have like lined up at a whatever, and like that's the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So I guess to sum up, the last thing I had written in like my notes for us to talk today was you wrote a thing that says you are important, but not more important than me. And I feel like that's the great summarization of like this whole conversation. And I think it's, it's been a reflection that I've had in learning white supremacy. But the other curiosity I have is just the idea of supremacy in general because I think we can label something white supremacy, but other people can believe they're supreme to others in so many different situations. That's like ableism. That's like all these different ideas that maybe they stem from whiteness. I don't know, but I, but like that you are important, but not more important than me is equalizing. It's an equalizer. We are all, my, my importance is as equal to your importance. End of story. And I do wonder if sometimes making the concept of supremacy or the concept of someone being more important than another based in race, um, though it, ha- it, it, it has a tradition of happening more often to different races. So I guess that's why the race. Yeah, it's not an individual. It's not on an individual level. It, it, it creates things in an individual but it's a, it's a value. It's like a subconscious value. Mm. Um, so I don't think it's, I don't think it's as much the idea of like, I'm walking around believing that I am superior because I am white. It's more just like everything in my life has been set up to give, to make it easier for me to have success than a black woman because Mm -hmm. I am white. And because everything around me believes everything again in quotes, mm-hmm. but like that I am more likely to be good, to be smart, to be worthy um, mm. because, because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting actually about that too, is that like the difference between equality and equity. Um, mm. I don't know if you talked about that, but like, right. Like, ah. Uh, you are not more important than me. And also you have been like you and your family and your roots have been so oppressed forever that treating us the same doesn't make sense, right? Treating a person who, um, treating a 12 year old the same way you treat a two year old doesn't make sense, Mm -hmm. right? Equality would be weird. 
Mm-hmm. Right. The twelve year old does have to share more than the two year old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's also in a difference. That that's the difference. I think the that idea of um, I am important. You both. You are important, but not more important than me. And I am important, but not more important than you. Is is the idea that both of our voices matter. Mm-hmm. So, at the end of the day, um, it's not. So I'll do a thing with my mom sometimes where when we have that, like when it's not, when we have like a situation where it's not wanting, but willing. And mm-hmm. often it's like with running errands for her. Cause I live in New York and she lives in New Jersey. And sometimes like when I come home, it'll be like, Oh, can you pick up this on the way home? And I'll be like, on a scale of one to 10, like how much do you need me to do this? Like how much am I saving your butt if I do this? Mm-hmm. And she might say like a seven and I'm going to say, Oh, okay. It's like, five minutes out of the way. I don't really have much going on today. Great. That's like a one for me. I'll do it. Um, it also could be that it's a six for me because, you know, I'm really busy. That doesn't mean that just because she has a seven that now I do it, but it right. gives me understanding to her perspective and it right. gives her understanding into my perspective. So both, both of our voices are heard. Um, and then we, and then we kind of like figure out what happens next. And often that gives room for like a collaboration. Mm-hmm. So it's not my side win. It's not your side wins. It's let's join together, both understand each other. And then we can then come up with a third option. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's, she's like, I know, you know, uh, pick something out for yourself too. And I'm like, okay, now like this becomes a fun thing for me. Or maybe it's um, that like, I know of a store near me that she doesn't know about where I can pick up the same thing. So I'm not going to the place she recommended, but I can Mm -hmm. still pick up the same item. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's that idea. um, So that's how it works on like a picking up things from your mom level. And on a consent level, it works in terms of like, I don't like PDA. Um, I want people to know that the other person says like, I want people to like be able to appreciate our love. Okay. Well, like, how would you feel about like a public Facebook post about our love? Like whatever it is. I hate that yeah. solution for myself, but like it's some third option right. where you're like, we both still get what we want because we both still matter. Right. And I feel very uncomfortable using matter, the word matter for this after all we've talked about. Fair, but it's, I mean, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I hear yeah. you. Um, um, but yeah, so that's, that's where I was coming from at that post. Cool. Cool. I, I loved it. Cause, um, for me, I had to bre- depression for a really long time. And you touched on it earlier that a lot of people with depression feel unworthy. And I had built up this idea that my twin sister was more important than me. And it was like, it took like three sessions with my ser- therapist to unravel that belief. Um, it still probably took about seven years to integrate that belief that new trying to formulate like, that three sessions, that's quick. That was just for me to actually <laughs> state that I was as important as her. It took three sessions for me to state that. And yeah. then to integrate that as a actual belief in me probably took seven years of work or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just think that's, if everyone started to really, really work from that place, I think that would be an amazing starting place for people that you're important. I respect you. And I'm also important and I respect me. Let's figure out how both of us can be as important. Yeah. 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 Um, And then talking about uh, equality, we did talk about it a little bit. The 
the, for me personally, the word I like, cause equality is, equality is a really hard, hard con- like concept. I just think like, what, what is equal? What does that actually mm-hmm. look like? Um, right. And I said in that one, and I'll say again, because I think it's a word um, I've heard Aisha Kambi say it too, that she finds it easier um, is the word fairness. What is actually fair for people? fair and just as opposed to equal yeah I don't I, I always say I for me it's equitable equitable I'll talk okay about what's equitable as opposed to what's equal right because what is equal it's just like average could be mean or mode or median right um same thing with like what is equal mean right and for me I, def- use, I use the word could you define equitable um equitable is that it so equal would be like we split the bill like equally, mm-hmm. whereas equitable is you got um, the shrimp and I just had a glass of iced tea because I wasn't hungry. And so I pay three bucks and you pay the rest. Mm. Whereas like it's, it's, it's kind of like fair, but it's based in each person's individual needs. Equitable could also be that I make a million dollars a year and you make I was going to say a hundred dollars a year. <laughs> like, that's a, you know, sometimes your brain like goes to like weird yeah. numbers and like, you mean them to say, you mean them to like, I had like four hot dogs. You're like, that's actually like, that's a lot, but that's not like crazy. That's not true. Yeah. Like a million hot dogs. And you're like, well, that was too much. <laughs> um, so you make, you know, $20,000 a year. I make a million dollars a year. Equitable could also be that like, I pay for the meal because right it means less for me. So it's, I, I think it's also, that's not the actual definition. Now I'm actually, should we look up the definition and see if I was right? Could we play that game? Sure. Yeah. I can always cut time out. So. <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say like, I feel like I listen to would want our listeners. I don't know. I love it. Our listeners okay, are going to be Equitable. listening to both of Fair us. Fair and impartial. Valid Fair and impartial. And equity as distinct from law. Yeah. So. They're similar. Very An equitable balance of even-handed impartial just fair yep it's it's the same thing right as opposed to equal which is like equal parts sugar and water in your life mm-hmm. that's yeah not always what you want sometimes you need more sugar yeah well and it just like what's equal like for me my twin sister has a disability she was born with um yeah with a disability so equality was not a concept that we could work from in our family it just it wasn't um and so we had to work from what is going to be the most fair and and that I think gave me a really fascinating perspective my whole life um that that me that I do think is partially why I do have kind of these like other views about it because I'm like well wait 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 like that like yeah anyway but that's um yeah, I like, I like, I find, I, I, I've always found equality to be a really hard, hard concept to understand. So. Cause that means we'd all pay the same taxes. Like what? Right. Like, no, that's not right. like, that's, that's why we equal, have tiered systems. Like, that's messed up. Do you guys have exactly. tiered systems in, I don't know how the tax systems are. Yeah. That's tiered. We do, but they're, they suck. Yeah. I mean, I think no matter what, th- there are systemic changes that need to happen at huge, huge, huge levels. Um, that we all know need to happen. And I think we're working towards them, I hope. But anyway, um, <laughs> is there any last kind of comments you want? Cause I'll, I'll start wrapping this up and um, then we'll move into the fast seven. 
this this was a I just want to say thank you for this for this conversation and I'm glad I'm glad we had some disagreements along the way because those are always fun to work through mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just being in alignment the whole time um, because where's the fun and where's the there's more room to reflect now which I which I really appreciate so thank you for uh, for having me on thank you and I'm sure I'll have you on again to teach us more and more things because I like conversations with wicked people it's my favorite thing so. Um, yeah, so then we'll move on to the fast seven for you. So whenever you're ready, which I'm sure you're probably just ready. (laughs) Let's go. Authenticity is. Oh, this is like Brene Brown style. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) A value of mine. A value of yours. Perfect. Uh, what, how would you best describe your learning style? Experiential. Cool. Uh, top book recommendation? Ooh, uh, Sexual Citizen by Jennifer Hirsch and Seamus Khan. Cool. Okay. I haven't, I haven't read that one. It's all about a study that they did on Columbia about sexual assault and um, very much from the broad spectrum. And uh, it's, it's one of the research books I quote most in my work. Um, awesome. I love it. Cool. Yeah. Um, a daily practice or habit? Walking my dog. Beautiful. Meh. What kind of dog do you have? She's a lab retriever, pointer, hound, mix, blonde, blonde, 60 pounds, looks retriever, uh, looks like lab-ish. Yeah. Cute. Yeah. Cute, cute. I have a golden retriever, so I understand. Um, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Ooh, talk to animals. Cool. <laughs> yes. I, you can tell I thought about this before. Yeah, you were like right on. That one I'm ready, but I want, yeah, I want to talk to animals. That's awesome. Describe yourself in three words. Uh, goofy. Okay. Learning. Mm-hmm. slash growing mm-hmm. that's one love it and uh goof what did i say goofy learning slash growing goofy, goofy learning slash growing and uh God, this is hard. I, I know like it's not important. Like I can just, I know like I should just like freaking say it. Um, like being genuine is important to me, but I don't want to like call myself genuine, but like trying, I am a person who having like integrity in my like genuineness is important to me. So like being goofy, if it, even if it's not acceptable to be goofy, like wearing pajamas even if like I'm on a podcast um if I can you know Mm -hmm. um but kind of staying staying aligned to my values that's there we go value aligned trying to be value aligned cool I love it and then last one is so quick that's okay this is like it's it's a fast but it's like it's just to it's the the goal for me is just to end on something that 
kind of sometimes lighten the, lightens the mood. Some of these conversations get real heavy. So it just kind of brings it back up to like a nice fun place. And we get to learn a little couple quick fun things about the person. That's all. So if it takes a little bit of time, that's fine. And the last one is your favorite obscure food choice. Ooh. Uh, I don't know if it's obscure, but it's my favorite. Um, and it's specific. So Trader Joe's coffee bean blast ice cream. Cool. That sounds delicious. Yeah. We don't have Trader, you have Trader Joe's. Joe's in- you've heard of it though I've heard of it yeah Yeah. I think I've been to one when I've been in the states but no we don't have Trader Joe's up here we have a lot of good ice cream up here though so I'm sure there's a comparable one um I put obscure in there I might just say favorite food choice because a lot of them haven't been obscure but um one of the girls said that her favorite thing was chicken assholes so I kind of leave obscure in there (laughs) it was amazing yeah Yeah, for me it's just like very specific it's not coffee ice cream Right. Trader Joe's coffee bean blast ice cream. It's different than every other coffee ice cream. Right. So specific. I stand by it. I love it. Thank you so much, Sara, for being on the podcast. This is amazing and gave me lots of food for thought. I, I appreciated I appreciated the comparisons between sexual assault and racism. I think they're a fair comparisons to make um, and gave me lots to reflect on, which is what I love. So every... and. Uh, every analogy is imperfect, but I still think I agree that like we, we can learn from analogies and from comparing them. So, and I agree with that. Those are interesting ones and helpful ones to to compare. Perfect. Cool. Have a good day. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the raw podcast as part of the radically authentic wholeness project. We deeply appreciate you and would love to hear how you're enjoying the show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us an honest review, and share us with your friends and family. By doing this, you contribute to our mission of supporting individuals' pursuit of integrated wholeness and authentic self-expression. Are you interested in a total health transformation with structured and simple nutrition? Welcome to Purium. Their products have completely revolutionized my eating habits, my energy, and the overall way I feel in my body. Their ultimate lifestyle transformation was the most supportive and seamless cleanse I've ever done. And I've tried almost every diet and cleansing fad there is. The ULT is a 30-day program with 10 days of intensive cleansing that you can do either alone or within our community start dates posted about once every quarter. Within the community cleanses, We also host various workouts and inspirations to foster a holistic lifestyle transformation along with the superfood products. Purium's core four nutrition has become a total game changer for my busy lifestyle to introduce superfood nutrition in a seamless way while supporting my gut microbiome and deep restless sleep in the process. Truthfully, their apothecary juice helped me sleep better than I have in my entire life. So check out the links and the info in the show notes for my personal recommendations or use code RAWPROJECT to get 25% off your purchase to support your health while also supporting the podcast. Please contact me for any questions or to book a free 15-minute health consult through my website or email also listed in the show notes. The Raw Project is currently a single human endeavor, and its productions are purposefully raw and curated organically to create a listening experience that traverses my unending curiosity and insatiable desire to understand this divine experience we're all co-creating. I'm Christine Grace, and I wish you a rad-tastic day ahead.